Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. As you turn to Exodus 1, is a bit different than normal. It's this, God is not deaf, dumb, blind, or stupid. And don't worry, I have four words for us to leave here this morning with that will combat and oppose each of these ones. But I don't know if you've ever heard people talk like this. Um, Maybe they don't use these words per se, but people who have a a thing, a bone to pick with God, uh, kind of say everything but these words. And they say, well, if God is really real, X, Y, and Z. And you've heard stories, you can read Uh, newspaper articles and find them I'm sure about how God is where is God in all of this in all of the disaster and all of the crime Uh, but the book of Exodus is essentially a book about knowing God through personal experience this is the book of Exodus I don't know if you've ever opened the book uh, of the Bible to Exodus uh, but it's a fascinating story every country has its own national history which is a record of the events leading up to its independence. And Exodus records Israel's history, recounting its earliest years and God's covenant with its people. And so I'm going to try to, it's not a history lesson, but I'm going to try to give you a bit of context before we actually get to our text. And so if you remotely remember the, the story of Joseph. Maybe you know the story of Joseph and the many colors, uh, the coat of many colors, the Joseph Technicolor dream coat. I don't, I've never watched that musical. My sister was a big fan and had like the cassette and would play it on repeat. Um, but I never, I just read the story in the Bible and it came alive to me. But if you remember, Joseph finds himself in Egypt. There's a famine and his dad and all the brothers end up coming into Egypt as well. And so Joseph is there in Egypt, and he's actually helping to lead the country for Pharaoh. Jacob and his children, like we said, settled in Egypt during that famine. And then Jacob eventually dies there in Egypt. But Joseph made a promise to bring his body and bury him in Canaan with his ancestors. Who were Jacob's ancestors? Abraham and Isaac And then we get Jacob. So the grandfather, Abraham and Sarah. Then we have Isaac and Rebekah. And then we have Jacob. And Jacob's wife was already buried there. And he said, Joseph, if I die here, bring my bones back. I want to be there with my ancestors. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says this. In time, so his dad did die, Jacob, and all of that happened. But verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 1 In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Well, which land? Egypt. Now, the king, Pharaoh, didn't like that. And they noticed, hey, this could be really dangerous for us. And so Pharaoh that uh, Joseph would have known died, and there's a new pharaoh now. And uh, this new king came to power in Egypt who didn't even know about Joseph, didn't know how he helped the country, how he made pharaoh very rich, and so he didn't even know who Joseph was. 
And he realized the people of Israel outnumbered them. They were stronger than the Egyptians. And so in verse 11 of Exodus 1, they make a plan to stop Israel, or at least to try to stop Israel from being so powerful. You know what they said? We're going to make the people of Israel our slaves. And we're going to treat them harshly. And I'm going to share with you exactly how. The burden of slavery for Israel in Egypt was like this. The people of Israel were oppressed. They had brutal slave drivers over them. They were being worn down with crushing labor. Exodus 1.12 lets us know, But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Isn't that interesting? By the way, in the book of Acts, when the church faced persecution and had to scatter all around, the church continued to grow and multiply as well. Something interesting, when we face hardships as Christians, sometimes we think it's the end of the world, but maybe God is about to do something great. So just don't quit yet. But that's what happens. And then the response now, when the Egyptians notice this, man, they don't stop. They keep growing and multiplying. The Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter. They were ruthless in all their demands. And then Exodus chapter 1 ends with Pharaoh giving an order to throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. And this is leading up to where we're headed this morning. This is chapter 1. Pretty, pretty gruesome of a, of a request by Pharaoh, but that's how serious they were of, of keeping Israel at bay, at least trying. Exodus chapter 2 recounts to us the birth narrative of Moses. And in short, if, you've, if you're not familiar with it, let me just paint you a quick picture. Right? Pharaoh says, throw, throw every firstborn, get rid of them into the Nile River. Well, here's this boy Moses, born, baby. And the mom knows this, so what she does is she puts him in a basket of reeds and kind of pushes him down. And you know who finds this basket with the baby inside? It is Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. And somehow, she fell in love with this baby. And guess what? In God's sovereignty, Moses, uh, they, they find his mother to care and nurture this child and uh, so the mom had like the blessing and pleasure of raising this child. But then it, the baby was no longer hers. It belonged to the princess. And so now Fa uh, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's palace as an Egyptian. But his roots are clearly Hebrew. And he also seems to know it when you read chapter 2. And so are you still with me? Right? This is the context. If you like storytelling, read those first two chapters. It's incredible. But what happens now is that Moses sees one day how harshly the Israelite people are treated by, by an Egyptian, by the Egyptian people. And one day he steps in and he ends up killing the Egyptian in front of his own people, the Israelite people. And they kind of take note, but Moses thinks like, no one saw me, and he hides the body. The next day, he comes out, and he tries to talk to them, and they go, oh, are you going to kill us like you killed that other Egyptian? And Moses thought, oh, no, people did see me. And then what happens is Pharaoh even gets word and now wants to kill Moses. So what does Moses do? He flees to Midian. 
flees to Midian, and he stays there for a long time. And now we're going to pick it up in Scripture for our main text today. If you have your Bible still open, turn to chapter 2. Would you stand with me as we read this morning? Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 says this. Years passed. So Moses is in Midian. He fled. Years passed. And the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you that it is ever so relevant even to us today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings the seed to the point where it begins to take root and grow in our lives. Father, I simply ask for your anointing now upon me as I speak, as I deliver your word. Lord, I thank you and I ask that you would anoint my mind, my lips, and my heart, that I might speak only your word that you want me to speak. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. God is not deaf, dumb, blind or stupid he's not point number one God hears God hears you see Egypt was a hard place for the people of Israel the Israelites I mean I described it for you and by the way those weren't my words I just took what chapter one said about the whole experience and I just gave them to you in bullet point form so it's not like I'm using creative, descriptive. No, this is right here in the NLT translation. No, the labor was intensive. They were worked hard. It was not a, a, a good place to be in for God's people. You know how long they stayed in Egypt? 400 years. 400 years. They were slaves for 400 years. It was not easy, but they continued to grow. And, I mean, that's an extreme case for some of us today. But I think it would be a normal thing to say, God, where are you? God, are you blind? God, are you deaf? Are you dumb? Don't you see us? Are you stupid? And so today, these are like, like words I wouldn't normally say necessarily, especially all in one phrase. But I actually heard this week someone say, until you've prayed a prayer like this, God, where the hell are you? You haven't really prayed yet. Some of you are looking at me like, what did Pastor John just say? But some of us, if we haven't gotten to that point or that place, I don't know if we've actually felt the, the pangs, the burden of life or the burden of, of praying like that. And no, I don't speak like that to God, just so we know. But I, there are times where there's no better word but to question, God, where are you in the middle of all of this? Where are you? Are you here? Are you deaf? Don't you hear everything that's being said about me? Where are you? What's going on? And here's the best part. God wants you to be brutally honest with him. So point number one, God hears. So God's not deaf. God hears. And in verse 23, it says, years passed since Moses left. The king of Egypt died, 
But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. Nothing changed. Nothing changed for years. But listen to this. They cried out for help. It doesn't end there. And their cry rose up to God. Their cry rose up to God. So God hears. They cried out for help. Their cry rises up to God. And God hears us from heaven. Church, friend, God hears you from heaven. You might say, what's going on? How long does it take? Well, it took a long time for Israel. 400 years. Even after Moses left, it said many years passed. Many years passed. But guess what? It doesn't really say in chapter 1 or 2 that they cried out to God until verse 23 that we just read. So I don't know what was their case. I don't know what was their scenario. If they were crying out, Scripture doesn't say it until this point. And you know what it says, though? As they cried out to God, God heard. So if God hears, then the question is, what are you crying out? To and what are you crying out for? If God hears what we say, and especially when we pray, then what are you crying out to and for? And here's, as I began to think and sit on this all week long, I began to realize, like for the Israelites to get to that point, when you, when you have a cry, and there's a cry in your heart, and it just comes out, sometimes it sounds like moaning or groaning, because words fail to express the pain and what's going on. What, what I think happens is now your heart is connected to your situation. When your heart is connected to your situation, then things get real and things get serious. Because I've been through environments and scenarios where, like I'm present, but my heart is not there. Can anyone relate with that? Like you feel sympathetic for maybe what, what happened or what someone just told you, but you kind of just move on because your heart's not tied to the news you just heard. So when you pray, your prayer doesn't sound like a cry. It just sounds like, and God, pray for so-and-so and what they, taught, what they told me. Yeah, and, and you just kind of move on. But when it's you, your heart seems to have an easier time connecting to your situation, Yes. Your heart is in it, and you, this is like, this is all I think about. This is what I'm struggling with. You, and someone could talk to you, and you're kind of like in another world because your heart is tied to another situation. What I think God desires for us is to have our heart tied to the reality of life, the reality of the situation, not necessarily yours, but the plight of mankind, humankind, the plight of people are slaves to sin. People are slaves to fear. They don't know God. And what happens is we get a burden. We get a burden. And there is a blessing of a burden because we can't just hold on to it. We have to give it to God. And we would begin to pray. And we begin to pray with passion. Uh, I mean, I remember uh, people say, you know, there's some complications with the pregnancy. Guess what? We pray and tears fall because the heart is connected to the situation 
Uh, but there are other times where I've prayed and I felt a disconnect, not because I didn't care, just because my heart wasn't yet tied to a specific situation. But God hears, and God hears us from heaven. But again, is there a cry on your heart? Is your heart connected to your situation or to the situation of those around you? Because it makes a difference. Now we begin to pray and there's a rumble that starts within us. And God hears us from heaven. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull or deaf that it cannot hear. You see, I've, I've quoted this a lot the last few weeks, but I said, let me just give you the actual scripture reference so you could remember it. Isaiah 59, verse 1. God's arm is not so short that he cannot save you out of your situation. For Israel, out of their slavery. And his ear is not so dull that he cannot hear. So then why don't we? Why don't we cry out to God? Why don't we? Because God Hears. These are four qualities of God. God hears, therefore cry out. Number two, God remembers. God remembers. So God isn't dumb. No, God remembers. He has a great memory and he never forgets. It says this in verse 24. He remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you see at the heart of this covenant is the promise that the patriarch's descendants will possess the land of Canaan. And so God spoke this to Abraham one-on-one. -on -one. He said, I will make you into a great man. You'll have mighty nation. And uh, you will come back to Canaan. Then he spoke it to Isaac in the same way. Then he spoke it to Jacob as well. And Genesis 15, uh, verse 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. So God already warned Abraham. And then verse 14, But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. So you see, God made a promise, and God remembers His promise. So, I don't know what God has spoken in your life. I know what he's spoken in my life. And guess what? I hold on to the promises of God. I'm just going to keep reminding the church that before we laid this carpet last year, I think it was the end of September, we held a special event here at the church. And if you remember that event and you were here, let me just see your hands real quick. So there are many of you that were present. And what we did that night is we said, come with your, your Sharpie markers. Why? Because we're going to begin to write on the concrete before we lay the carpet and before we stand at this pulpit and preach. And, and wherever you chose to your, mark your spot here, I remember someone right here in the front wrote signs and wonders here, here. And I know some people here wrote the names of people that they were believing for healing that were sick in their body. 
and they wrote names. There were a bunch of people who wrote a bunch of names for family members that were unsaved who said, we're believing for salvation to come to our household or maybe to our friends, and they wrote names. I don't know if you remember, but I remember. I have pictures. I look back sometimes, and I, and I just, I, I'm fascinated when I do that because our tendency is to forget. I remember right here, I wrote, your word never returns void, but it always accomplishes that what you set it out to accomplish. And I wrote it verbatim. This was my paraphrase. But I wrote it here so that every time I stand to this pulpit to preach God's word, I'm to have expectation that God's going to do something when his word comes out of my mouth. And it has to bring fruit because this is the living word. And so we might forget, but guess what? God never forgets. And the purpose and that whole experience for us as a church was that every time we gather and we stand, that we remind ourselves that we are standing on the promises of God. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And so it's important, church, to know we might not remember all the details. You might remember some of you received prophetic words right here in this church, uh, but you may have forgotten. I remember some of you were like, was that recorded? Can you uh, email me the, the recording or whatever? And the beautiful thing is God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget. He remembers his promise, and he is faithful to not my word, not your word. He's faithful to his word. So what, one of the best things you can do is remember God's promises and then take him on his promises and say, God, remember you said X, Y, and Z for my life. I'm still waiting, but I'm holding on to the promise. His promise is still sure, and it's going to come to pass. Now, here's the thing. Be patient in the process. Number one, we said God's not deaf. God hears. Number two, God is not dumb. He remembers. And he told Abram, he said, they're going to be in a foreign land as slaves for 400 years, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. We ended, uh, we'll get there in a second. Number three, God is not blind, God sees. God sees. And it says in verse 25, he looked down on the people of Israel. He looked down on the people of Israel. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. It's a very different picture what God sees when he looks at all of us compared to what human eyes see. When I look out today across the pews here at Weston, I see a beautiful church. I see people. It looks like everyone has life together and, and looks pretty. If I were to even look at your social media feeds, it looks good. It's like, this is really cool. And if you were to look at me through the same human eyes, you could probably come to the same conclusions. But when God looks, he looks through our beautiful clothing, our, our done-up hair, and all of this stuff to see the struggle. He looks and he sees the hurt. He looks and he sees the suffering. He looks and he sees the pain and he sees the lack. He sees the depression. He sees what no one else can see. 
Makeup can hide it. Clothing can hide it. A smile can hide it. Good words out of your own mouth can hide it. But God looks at the heart. And God is not blind. God sees. I don't know if you're encouraged by that or scared. <laughs> because you might say, I don't, I don't want God to see the dirty secrets and to see the stuff that I try to hide under, I sweep under the rug. And I get that too. But the beauty of it is this. God wants us to expose every part of life to him. He already sees it. But the only part he can actually begin to work on in your life is the, the parts that you reveal to him. That you say, God, I surrender. I give it all to you. So if God sees, then let me use a little of my own logic. Then he knows everything about me anyways. And if that's true, then God, why am I trying to hide? So God, look, the good parts of my life, you know them. And now the bad parts that I've tried to hide and cover, I uncover. I've heard a preacher say when I was young, and I never forgot it. I'll share it with you today. Write it down. The blood of Jesus will not, un will not cover what you don't uncover. The blood of Jesus will not cover what you won't uncover. So if there's a part that in your life is dirty, and there's a part that you just have been hiding because it's, uh, and you're embarrassed before God, uncover it today so that the blood of Jesus can come and come, can wash you white as snow, can come and touch that impurity in your life or that area of sickness and sin and disease, and he could make it white as snow again. But, but guess what? He sees And don't let it scare you. Let it encourage you to know, now if he sees, then why am I really trying to hide it? God sees. Man looks on the outside. You can easily fool me. Even on my best day, on my sharpest day, I can think, man, that's awesome. I wish I had, had it all together like them, right? And I could fool them and they leave. I wish I had it all together like Pastor John. Oh, but we're just humans. We're just weak and frail people with finite minds, finite ability to understand what's going on behind the scenes. But God knows, friend. Know that God knows. God is not blind. He sees. And you see, God's got the best perspective anyways. The best vantage point. This is how we deal with situations. Ready? Like this. Oh my goodness. It's so big. I don't know how to get around it. And this is our problem, our situation. And, and we don't, like, I can't get around it. It's right here. God's perspective, just like, you know, when we go to a friend and we say, what do you think? And we spill out all our guts. And it's like, sorry for vomiting on you. Um, I just had to vent. Right? And you want a fresh perspective. God sees from the best vantage point of our lives. Yet, how many of us say, God, what's your perspective on this? What's your perspective? What's your vantage point? Guess what? God, God knows. God sees. And he wants to share that with you, but you need to, to let him in. You need to ask him. Number four, God's not stupid. God knows. God's not stupid. God knows. And I love how verse 25 puts it. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew It was time to act. Sorry, who knew? Oh, God knew. What does he know? The time. He knows the time. He knows the time. 
Nowadays, we have smartphones that tell us the time. We have smart watches that can even let us know the time in new and cool ways. I have a TV at the back here that reminds me of the time every time I look. I can, I can know what time it is here and still be off of God's time. God looked down on his people and he knew it was time to what? To act. He knew it was time to act. What did the people do? They, they finally were crying out in anguish and suffering. They finally cried out. What did God do? We said it. He hears. He remembers. He sees. And he knows. What does he know? When to act. Think about it. God knows when to act. He knows when it's time to step in. He knows when it's time to just wait. He knows when it's time to let things just simmer a bit. And one, I've had a few conversations this week, but one of the things for me, if I can just put a side note here about God and Israel and their, their journey from slavery to the promised land in Canaan, it was a three-day journey once they were out of Egypt, but it took them another 40 years to actually get there. A three-day journey took God's people 40 years. Think about it. Like, I, I know, okay, a three-day drive, I can end up somewhere in the west of Canada, hopefully, three-day drive. But how about 40 years? That, Pastor, it took you 40 years to drive, really, that far? It's the same thing. You know what I really believe? And this is just a little side note, like I said. God's people had to learn a whole bunch of lessons before they can enjoy the blessing of the promised land. Could you imagine? I mean, they were grumbling. They're complaining. I know I jumped ahead to their freedom, but just follow me for a second. They're grumbling and complaining, saying, we want to go back to Egypt. It was so much better there. At least we're not thirsty and, and, and starving. We had food to eat. And this is what they were complaining about after God delivered them. Was Egypt better? By no means. By no means. But they already forgot. They didn't remember. But they were complaining. God said, you're, you're not ready yet. You're going to learn a few lessons along the way. Many of the people that actually left Egypt, did not even make it into the promised land. Moses himself didn't even make it into the promised land. He didn't. Because he disobeyed God. One simple little thing. He disobeyed God. And God said, sorry. You may say, well, why? I can't explain why. That's, that's what God said, so that's what happened. Here's the beautiful thing. These four things. We, we can apply to our lives every single day. And we're going to end today by praying. Don't you worry about it. I'm not going to let you slip out. But if you need to just cry out to God, we're going to do that this morning. And I think that's the appropriate response to a message like this. Is, okay, let's put this into practice now. Let's start connecting our heart to our situation. But just before we get to that... Um, God said 
He looked at, the word says, God looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. And I want to end this morning simply by saying this. When he did that, do you know what God's response was? How he was about to act? It's, it's chapter 3. And it says that the Lord now starts, um, Moses, he's in Midian. Remember, many years had passed. He had left Egypt. He's kind of in the de- wandering. Guess what? He was wandering for 40 years of his own life. Um, and now he finds himself at the burning bush. But he re- something catches his eye. The bush isn't being consumed. He just sees fire, but the bush is not burning. It's not being consumed, rather. And so something catches his eye, and then God starts to speak to Moses. And here's the beautiful thing. When people cry out, God hears, God remembers the promises, God sees, and God knows. He knows how to act. And guess what? God often uses other people to answer and to respond and to uh, be the answer to people's prayers. So this morning... You might fall on one of these two spectrums. You might be feeling like Israel in Egypt where you are ready to cry out to God. But there might be people here this morning who are kind of like Moses and you are in church. You've grown up. Maybe you serve even here at Weston. Maybe you're visiting and and you take this back to your home church if you have a home church. If not, you stay here. Come back next Sunday. But there might be other people that are just kind of wandering. Like, okay, I'm saved, but what? What do I do? I believe that God, when he knows it's the right time, is tapping people all the time on the shoulder and and giving you a little prod to say, this is your time. This is your time. And this is what I kind of envision in my own head. This is my own creativity now. It's like, Picture a big computer, and, and God is on this computer, and a prayer goes, bloop, bloop, like a you know, new message pops up, and there's the cry, right, of someone's heart. And then God looks through the inventory of all the believers at Weston and all over the world, and he matches the need with the skill or the ability. And not saying you have to be special people, but actually the willingness of people, and God will give you the tools you need. And then he says, okay, you need to go and do this today. That's why when we close church, I pray for divine appointments for our people. You know why? Because of that very reason, that you're walking with hope and the answer, the gospel, the good news. You've been in church Sunday. You should have the word in you. And now you can go, and there are people crying out. Some of them aren't even, they don't even know to cry out to God. They just cry out to stuff and to things, to alcohol, to drugs, to sex. And they don't know any better. But they might open up to you, and that just might be God putting you on purpose in somebody's path. So don't feel like, I, I, don't, I don't know. No. In God's timing, you will know. But you have to have your spiritual antennas up. Spiritual antennas up everywhere you go. And say, God, use me today. Use me as your hands and feet. Use me today. Listen, if it's true that God hears, that God sees, that he remembers and he knows, then who is he going to use? People. Are you willing today? Are you willing to be used of him in that way? I would love to be the, the, 
the, the pastor that's able to meet every single person's needs here in the church. The reality is it's almost virtually impossible. Uh, number one, I don't know every single need in, represented here. And then secondly, I'm only one person. So I, in a given week, I can meet a few people and try to pray together. But guess what? The picture looks much healthier when everyone has that same mentality. No, I, I have a ministry too. God, use me. Take my hands and my feet and use me for your glory. So, Weston, today, my question is very simple. Are you ready to pray? Are you ready to cry out to God? Are you ready to allow your heart to be connected to your situation? Are you ready? Are you ready? You don't have to be a slave to anything in life. You don't have to. The only kind of slavery that I see in Scripture is Paul saying, I'm a slave for Christ, meaning I will do His will. I will do what He says. He is my master. That's the only type of slavery I would submit myself under, is the, the leadership of Christ. But I don't have to be a slave to my past, people's opinion, the labels that have been placed on me, or or even this whole thing like, I got to make it look like I have everything together. And that could be a slave for somebody here today. No longer slaves. We've been set free and we are sons and daughters of the King. Christ Jesus died to set you free. Jesus died to set you free. Not so you live in slavery, that you live free. What does it look like when you let an animal run free? It looks like chaos, right? They're like, ah! This is amazing. The animals escape. They go everywhere. We should see that as well in people's lives. When they're set free, no limits. God can do whatever he wants now in that life. And so this morning, would you stand to your feet with me? We have time. I'm in no rush. I mean, if you want to rush out of here, just think. The next time you come to church, you're going back to school, students. <laughs> Right, so let's, let's make the most of this opportunity. And we can cry out to God. Cry out to God. And I'm just going to invite us to, to turn this into a concert of prayer today. And you might not have anything to pray about specifically. Then you know what you pray for? A burden. Pray for a burden. God, put it on my heart this week. Who do you want me to minister to? Who do you want me to call? And, uh, and we're going to believe for great things today. Amen. I'm believing for our church that God is preparing us. He's preparing us for a glorious future. And the, the ministry and the years of our history that we've seen have been blessed. They've been good. They're, they're remembered by God. But I truly believe that what's in front of us is something that we haven't tasted yet. And we just need to begin to expect God to exceed our expectations, if, I, if that makes sense, as a church family. So let us begin to cry out today. Number one, if you feel like you're Israel in Egypt, you begin to cry. Make sure your heart is connected to your situation, that God would begin to hear your cry. His ear is not deaf, and His arm is not short. God can reach down from heaven today. You don't have to wait for tonight. You don't have to wait for tomorrow. But my question is, are you willing to lift your voice, to cry out, to let God know, no, Lord, this matters to me, and I know it matters for you. First Peter says, cast all of your anxiety on me, for I care for you. And so you don't have to walk as a slave any longer, but God hears, and 
in his time, he knows. He knows what to do and he knows who to use and how to do it. And so today, remove your thoughts about your situation. Just give it to God. Uncover it before him today. And we're going to pray for also the blessing of a burden that God would use us. That there are other people, other cries that God wants to use us to minister to. Let's pray, church. Come on, let's lift our voices to the God who hears, to the God who knows. Oh, there's no secrets with God. Father, we thank you today for this opportunity. We have to openly pray, Lord, even using a microphone and an amplification system. Father, that uh, we have the liberty to lift our voices and no one's going to tell us to keep quiet. So, Father, I thank you today. Lord, for your word. Lord, I'm reminded of your faithfulness to your people. Father, I'm reminded of how you respond to the promises of God. And you are faithful, Lord, to your word. And Father, today we thank you that you're the God who hears. So Father, as we lift up prayers today, Lord, you hear every prayer. And Father, we thank you for your ear is not deaf. Father, I thank you that you remember, Father, every word that's been spoken over this congregation. Lord, you remember every word that's been spoken over every individual in this place. And Father, we simply remind you today of those words you haven't forgotten. But God, we also remind ourselves as we tell them to you today, Father. We thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Every promise, God, every promise shall come to pass in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you're still the God who answers prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you see from heaven. You see the plight of your people all over the world, the persecuted church. Lord, Father, we get to do this openly and freely, but there are brothers and sisters all over the world who aren't able to do the same. God, you see from heaven every situation, Lord, every family, Lord, every anxiety, you know. And Father, today we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your promises. We thank you, Lord, that you see. And Father, you also know, you also know all things, the beginning and the end. Lord, the first and the last. You're the Alpha and the Omega. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your omniscience. You know all things at all times. And, Father, you know when it is best, Lord, for us. And so, Father, I thank you today. I thank you today, Father. There's faith in my own heart right now to believe that for some people in this room, this is the right moment. This is the right atmosphere and environment to receive in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we make ourselves available to you today in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. And, Lord, you know how to act. You know when to act, and you know who to use to act. And so, Father, today I pray that you would activate people within our own church who've been here but maybe have just been asleep or dormant a little bit too long. Father, I pray for a great awakening to come in our hearts, that we wouldn't just come to church to kind of observe and to see, but Father, blow fresh passion. Lord, awaken us 
as your people, Lord, to not just act, but Lord, activate us. Lord, to be able to be the answer to someone else's prayer. I pray, God, for our church, that we would be obedient to your Holy Spirit, that we would be, Lord, able to just wait in your presence and to say, Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Come and have your way. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts of healing, miracles. We thank you, Lord, for the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. Lord, for discernment, for tongues and interpretation of tongues. These are gifts that you've given the church for the benefit, for the edification of the church. And Lord, I, I simply ask that we would see more of it in operation. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come now, have your way. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.